Welcome to the Talking Gardens Chelsea podcast with me, Stephanie Mann. My guest this episode is Charlotte Harris, one of the UK's most exciting landscape designers. She has many awards under her belt, including two previous gold medals at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, and is co-founder of Harris Book Studio with Hugo Bug. Together, they're designing Horatio's garden for the show this year, and Charlotte recently revealed all the details to me just before the build began. Charlotte Harris, welcome to Talking Gardens. So you are doing the wonderful Horatio's Garden at Chelsea Flower Show this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the theme or the cause of your garden? Yeah, hi there, uh, Steph, and thanks for having me. So Hugo and I uh, were really honoured to be asked by Horatio's Garden to design their first main avenue garden at Chelsea. And actually, it's the first main avenue garden that deals with accessibility as well um, and puts people with a, a kind of accessible needs at the heart of the design so that that feels really important um, but the charity itself uh, Horatius Garden is a national charity which creates and nurtures beautiful gardens in NHS spinal injury centres and becomes part of the patient's experience of being in hospital and I think it's really important to contextualise that experience because spinal injuries are traumatic, they're often sudden, they're usually completely life-changing and people are often in hospital for many, many months at a time, often in shared wards, coming to terms with this enormous change in their lives, you know, kind of surrounded by the hustle and bustle of hospitals. So these incredible gardens provide respite, they provide a haven, they also provide incredible kind of occupational health opportunities. And one consultant talk very movingly about how this was kind of the 24-hour gym to help patients get involved and and start practicing things so from helping put up seeds to just moving their wheelchairs for the first time around the garden so it's a very they're very powerful spaces and I believe there's quite a number of them around the country now isn't there and they're usually designed by very well-known slash famous interesting designers such as yourself and Hugo I think most of the big names have have done one by now, just like obviously with other wonderful gardens in healthcare settings such as Maggie's. There's a bit of a backstory as to why it's called Horatio's Garden as well, isn't there? Yeah, um, the garden was the sort of idea and vision of Horatio Chapel, who's the son of the founder, and um, he, his life was kind of tragically cut short at the age of 17. And in his memory, this vision he had, the family wanted to take forward at Salisbury, and it was so powerful and it it sort of had such an incredible effect for patients. A charity was then formed and there are 11 spinal injury centres across the country. And as you mentioned, there are a number which already have Horatius Gardens, currently six. I think the last one was is opened at Cardiff, Sarah Price designed. The one in Build is by um, Andy Sturgeon in Belfast. And then parallel to this Chelsea Garden, Hugo and I are designing the garden in Sheffield, which will be the eighth Horatius Garden. Wonderful. So it will have a life after the show to go on and become an actual used in a spinal injury centre. Yeah, I mean, I I probably maybe I might get slapped wrist for this by the RHS, but really Chelsea is the dress rehearsal for this garden. You know, we've designed the two in parallel, but every element of the Chelsea garden is going to the Sheffield garden. The Sheffield garden is eight times the size. So obviously this is a distillation of what that garden is. But this Chelsea Garden has been designed entirely with the kind of feedback and input of patients to understand what they would prioritise in a Chelsea Garden and then how we take that to Sheffield. And that's been really important because 
Hugo and I have never had experience of being in a wheelchair and it's really important to hear those voices and those voices are reflected there, those experiences and really understanding what patients think we should prioritise most. So we've done a lot of listening. We were very, Olivia Chappell, Horatia's mother and the founder of the charity approached us to design the Chelsea Garden and the Sheffield Garden. And we spent many, many months visiting all the other Horatio's gardens, talking to NHS staff, listening to patients, understanding some of the amazing evidence-based research that the charity has. So that really this garden at Chelsea is, it is, it is person-led design. It's not, it's not kind of like a show garden. Does that make sense? And I mean, obviously, accessible design and therapeutic design are both huge areas, as well as speaking to the people who are going to be using the garden. Uh, where else do you sort of draw from in your process of, of deciding what to include, what to leave out of a garden like this? Well, really, it is the patients that have defined it. Horatio's gardens have an incredible kind of body of learning about what is it works in those spaces. But as I mentioned, the Sheffield Garden is eight times the size. The Chelsea Garden is 10 metres by 22 metres, so we can't do everything in there. So we asked patients what they would prioritise, and they asked us to, uh, out of their experience of the garden, and so what came back very strongly, what we heard very strongly, was the sense of an escape from a noisy, busy ward that that is shared by lots of other people and lots of sort of formica settings and quite sterile in a hospital. So so kind of a real contrast to that, that it should be easy for them to move around in. Lots of people are getting used to wheelchairs for the first time or are in beds being wheeled out for the first time. So they, it has to be, uh, has to enable that. And actually the thing that came through really strongly as well was kind of birds and wildlife as animating the space. So our brief really was taken from patients but in thinking about how we then execute that design, we obviously were thinking about the future life of the garden, the real life of the garden in Sheffield. So we've woven, very gently woven stories of Sheffield into some of the design elements, which I can talk about, but that really connect it to its future legacy life. And that's kind of very much how we design anyway. We're interested in stories and narratives and layers and how we can make places really sing, uh, gardens really sing of the places that they're from. In terms of how we've addressed the design, yes, there's there's kind of influences from Sheffield, but how we what we have put in that garden comes directly from from patients. And speaking of the design, when people come to see the Chelsea Garden, what should they expect to see? What's the layout like? What are sort of the main elements and features that you guys decided to include? So this kind of distillation idea, having shelter from the ward, um, Horatio's Gardens have in them as it is kind of small garden rooms they're about four meters by four meters in most of the gardens and depending on the size of the garden there may be a number of them at Stanmore for example there's three and at Sheffield there'll be three and this kind of standalone garden room is cozy it's warm it's dry and allows people to have it's flexible it allows people to have privacy in there so they can go in and take a book or they can take a phone call important phone call or spend time with their kids or have a laugh or have a cry because as I say there's no privacy on the ward so one of the features of the Chelsea Garden is this garden structure which we have worked with Andrew McMullen from McMullen Studio with whom we worked in 2021 he worked with us on the pipework sculpture in that September garden that we made for M&G and really what was really important to Hugo and Andrew and I was that this structure should it should be welcoming but it should be a complete contrast from that 
that sort of formica narrative of the ward, as I mentioned before. So it's natural materials, it's timber shingles, it has cork lining, it's, it's insulated with wool. It feels like it's very tactile, um, but it is also the building that will be going to Sheffield, one of three that we're going to Sheffield. And so it has also been really rigorously tested. So we taped it all out in, in Stanmore, the actual footprint of it, and we knew that we could move a bed in it, for example. So again, it's this thing that it's got to be beautiful for Chelsea, but it's got to be functional um, for Sheffield. And it, it feels nest-like. The structure feels nest-like, cosy, flexible, as I say. And then, so that's in one part of the garden. The pathways that weave through, there's kind of organic pathways that move foot through, which allow people to turn quite easily rather than being on a kind of grid system. And they are a little bit wider than we're probably used to at Chelsea, but that's because that's absolutely right for patient requirements. And patients told us that things that they really, that really made a difference for them. And these are people who are often newly, well, they are newly spinally injured, often newly in wheelchairs. So flat surfaces, no joints, no bumps, and sort of um, little ups downs on the edge so that wheels didn't by mistake go into the planting. To enable a flat surface, that surface then needs to be permeable, otherwise the water just sits. So, and the brief from Horatio's Garden as a charity, obviously, is this, this has to look great for Chelsea. And together, actually, Horatio's Garden and ourselves really want it to be not only patient-friendly and beautiful, but also environmentally friendly. So, we couldn't use the uh, uh, Horatio's Gardens. They use very successfully, and it's the right choice. They use a resin-bound gravel, but we can't reuse that after Chelsea. So it's a w- complete waste of resources. So Hugo and I have developed a permeable, cement-free concrete terrazzo surface for the garden. It uses waste aggregate, so, but it's polished up beautifully into kind of very elegant terrazzo. But it is suitable for outside and can be laid flat. The joints are hidden. So you won't. So wheelchair users won't be bumping over joints, and then it can be. It's it's been made in pieces, and then it can be taken back up and taken up to Sheffield. So in terms of how the joints will be um, hidden, there are two amazing guys who work at Ryan Alexander Associates, Ollie and Tony. No pressure, guys, but they have been prototyping and sampling and testing how we get our slabs together, and then how we infill and polish those so that they are completely seamless. And then at the end of the show, we'll be able to lift those because um, they're in sort of modular pieces and take them to Sheffield so they can be reused. But getting that right and getting kind of the curing times of concrete right, it is it is an art form and it has taken a lot of testing. It is the most technically, it is the most technically difficult garden we've ever made. No, I, I'm just really interested in like you actually developed this new material that's phenomenal. And how, how long did it take you? Who did you work with on this? Like, where do you even start with something like that? We talk to lots of people and I think that's one of the great things about Chelsea is that you get to try out new things and talk to brilliant, interesting new people. I'm not going to lie, it has had its stressful moments, but it's one of the great joys of Chelsea that you can be really hands-on. It's one of the things that, that, as I say, you can try these new things out. So we've worked with a commercial precast concrete organisation, a cement-free provider called DB Holdings have been exceptionally generous in providing uh, that cement-free product for us. We've worked with a very dear friend of mine up on Sky called Joel Skystone Studio, who has helped us nuance the aesthetic. So little samples of the aesthetic. So there's been lots of people involved in it. And obviously our main contractor, Ryan Alexander Associates, has been absolutely central to it. We're also working with Stoneworld on how we polish and buff that up. So lots of people to coordinate. Yeah, it's going to look fantastic. It's going to look really fantastic. But it has taken, I would say, we've been working on it for nine months. 
So what else are we going to see on this Chelsea garden of yours? Well, patients told us that they loved wildlife in the Horatio's gardens and they tend to have water features in them. And so obviously water features are really important for sound, for touch. They talked about the kind of quite calming, gentle nature of it as well. So we've designed a water feature, a kind of a water table. It's it's at a lower height. It reflects the different ways of seeing and being in this garden, which is very different from from the gardens we've designed previously and we've had to really consider that so it's a bit lower and the design of it is inspired by the industrial heritage of Sheffield and specifically the kind of strong cutlery making traditions so we've used cutlery dyes that we threw examples of an amazing industrial museum in Sheffield called Callum Island we've used models of those and they form part of this beautiful water table that also holds the the memorial words to Horatio Chapel, which every garden has. So really excited about that. I think it will be incredibly beautiful and a very kind of, it's a, it, it's a very kind of gentle water movement there. And then another structural element of the garden is just thinking about those linking stories. Obviously, Sheffield is very close to the Peak Districts. In fact, you can walk out to the Peak District from Sheffield. And we, Hugo and I, when we very early on had visited Sheffield at the hospital, we went out to the Peak District and the cairns in the landscape felt to us symbolic really of wayfinding and navigation and there seemed a metaphor and a parallel for this idea of people helping mark the way on paths that may be less trodden and you know that people have gone before on this kind of new journey this new path and so there's three of these cairns in the Chelsea Gardens that are being made for us by Lydia and Bert Noble, who have an incredible heritage of family heritage of 200 years of stonemaking. And in fact, their dad did stonework for Christopher Bradley Hole, I think, in 2003. So, you know, they've got family history at Chelsea. And truthfully, we've been, I've been, you know, they're, they're just incredible stonemasons. So they're making the three for Chelsea. And then there will be more of them in the Sheffield Garden as well. Wonderful. And of course, you're so well known, you and Hugo, for your wonderful naturalistic planting. What sort of planting should we expect in this garden? What have plants have you chosen and, and, and why have you gone with the choices that you have? I think we thought a lot about that idea of enforced stillness that happens when you've had a spinal injury and how we deliver kind of heightened sensory experiences. And they may be in very kind of micro moments or bigger moments as well. The garden is it is a garden with dappled shade with kind of pockets of sunlight in there and that's partly in response to what the charity told us about and what what patients told us and and doctors told us about uh, patients having temperature regulation issues following spinal injury in their bodies and often not being able to absorb uv so much so creating this cooling dappled garden is really important so there's there's a real practical reason for this being a woodland garden um, with pockets just pockets of sunshine that you can choose to be in the structural elements of the garden, the trees, we chose birch because birch branches were thrown onto the hot rolled metal sheets when Sheffield was this industrial hub to burn off the impurities of those. So that felt like, again, another little soft story to weave in. But they're also, bark is tactile, um, has really good all round season coverage. And we've got one that comes from a tree ring in the middle of the path. So even if you're you know, being wheeled past in a bed, you can reach out and touch the bark and have that kind of very close contact with nature. And the other trees that we're using are Acer bagurianum, uh, which are beautiful Acer, inspired really by the field maples of the of the wooded sides of Sheffield. 
has a more finely cut leaf, slightly more finely cut leaf, more bit of a more delicate leaf, and it has a really good autumn colour. Um, so again, they'll be going on to Sheffield as well. Planting, as I say, quite a bit of dapple shade, but pockets of sunshine. Um, Kelways are growing for us, and Dave Root said to us early on that it was an interesting and challenging list, which I take as a great compliment, I think, for someone who has grown, you know, plants for hundreds of show gardens. For so many Chelsea's. For yeah. so many Chelsea's, yeah. So maybe he says that to all the girls, I don't know. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so we've got some interesting, trying out some. Well, there was an incredibly beautiful Bomeria, uh, Platanifolia that I saw in Holland last year that we, I love Bomeria. I think it's such a fantastic plant, this kind of beautiful, almost soft nettle-like leaves on, on red stalks and then lovely uh, white flower tassels. And I saw that at the Hessenhof. But other things, some interesting geraniums that we haven't used before, Tony's Talisman, which is a good bright pink, Wendy's Blush, which is a is a phaeum, so good for more shady areas and a very kind of beautiful lilac colour. We're using an aquilegia called um, Bergerianum as well. Not not because of the aces, actually, but it has got a lovely kind of maroon and lemony yellow centre. We have a Runcus Horatio, of course. We have a Runcus Horatio. I believe that that Aruncus Horatio, it is named for Horatio Chapel, is that right? Or is it just a coincidence? I believe so. I don't I don't know, but I believe it, it, it is, yeah. We've got... Orange and dark red martigan lilies. We've got iris sabirica in white and and purple. So we've got Shirley Pope silver edge and uh, white swirl to Mamsonia. So I'm excited about the plant list. I feel like I'm I'm sort of ready to go. It's been it's been a bit of a slow start, cold March, but everyone's been or and February and March, but everyone's been in the same boat. So I think things will really take off now. So it sounds like it's quite a sort of quite a cool pastel palette. Is there quite a lot of green as well as those maroons that you're talking about? So the colours of the of the of the palette really are are as you say they're they're kind of limes and whites and blues in the in the shadier areas with a bit of feathering of dark purple. So we've got anthriscus and a, a kind of bits of bits of darker foliage in there as well to give contrast. And then as you come into a bit more sunlight, there's more oranges, more deep reds some lemon yellows and some pops of white again so yeah it's a it's a kind of it's a gently colorful palette with lots of texture and different heights in there as well how does it compare i am i right in saying that this is the first chelsea garden hugo and hugo have worked on together that's actually in may i know you've done it to you've done it separately and you've done the september one together is this your first may chelsea together yeah, I guess it is really. I mean, the, the September one was meant to be a May one, but actually, no. Actually, no. Um, maybe it's the one. The, the fir- yes, the first May that formally we have worked on together. I mean, truthfully, we were both involved. I was involved in his twenty sixteen garden. He was involved in my twenty seventeen garden. So, but yes, yeah, it would be. So now that you're doing this May show after doing that September show, does it feel good to be back doing sort of spring planting again? Does it give you more opportunities when you've got a woodland palette like you do for this one? I think it's great to be back in May. I'm excited about it. The September show was a brilliant challenge and actually a lot of our palettes stayed the same and we had kind of a woodland palette and we wanted to show how that that sort of life of the garden continued and that you don't have to just have like five days in May or five days in September. And I think more and more we're seeing more of that in show gardens, which is great because actually this is a garden that is going on somewhere. So it has to reflect that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be working with a new palette. 
it's hard, you know, it's hard to find new plants to work with in May. I think other designers might say the same. <laughs> and that's part of the brilliant challenge of it. Yeah, it's it, there's always the classics, isn't there? For a few years, everything was kind of loopy, and <laughs> there's always Digitalis, <laughs> of course, and um, Amsonia is a real favourite as well. But uh, uh, there has obviously been changes over the years. Like even since you've been doing Chelsea, what have you noticed um, since you first did Chelsea has changed? I think this idea that it is totally reasonable to reflect a past, present, and future in the palette. I think that is a really big change, and. I'm really pleased for that because I think we got, we are all gardeners because we enjoy that and we we identify that certain things have a moment when they're meant to be in their pomp, but actually they contribute loads to the garden as it is, even when they're not in their pomp, you know, perhaps when they're just leafing up. I think it makes it much more real and you have better conversations with people who visit it than this idea of this kind of perfect finished thing. So I think that is a big change. And I think the kind of sense of gardens being more relaxed, more naturalistic, more wildlife friendly, less formal, things kind of scrambling through a bit more, a bit more energetic. That's and, and that's definitely right up my street. And you and Hugo work together in partnership and you're in a studio together, but I believe you're located at different ends of the country. Is that right? I think a lot of people would love to, to possibly have the same kind of setup where, you know, you can have that creative partnership but not necessarily have to be in the office together all the time uh how, how does it work for you guys and and what do you think it has given you the chance to do that maybe wouldn't have been possible if you'd stayed as single studios it's that's a great question it's not an easy thing you have to work really hard at making sure you do spend that time together in person because there are moments the great thing about being in a studio together is obviously you can lean over and go I I can't quite work this detail out what do you think and we all have those moments don't we we don't all know and 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 working in collaboration is about those kind of stimulating discussions and I think you do still have to have that we were working like that before the pandemic so we so we were working on video a lot before the pandemic um, we use a lot of online tools and we were quite comfortable with those. And we just, we're just doing that more and more. But truthfully, most projects we are both involved in to some degree. He may peer review a project I'm leading or vice versa. So there's a lot of crossover. I think we probably speak to each other more than we speak to our partners every day on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to be really good at communication and you have to know that you are absolutely coming from the same place and but I do. It, yeah. It, what it means is that he can be where he wants to be, which is in Devon, and I can be where I want to be. And you, you have a kind of two different studios, but but we work really hard. You know, there's 13 of us now across different studios and working from different people working from home. And so we try really hard to make opportunities every two or three months for everyone to come together, spend time together, go to a garden or look at some planting or just hang out, because actually it's critical that everybody has that dynamic together. And as a partnership, do you find that you're quite opposites or are you very different from each other and you can bring something different? Or do you find that you kind of gel really well because you're both on the same page or is a little bit of both? I feel like this is like a Mr. and Mrs. question that you'll ask Hugo and uh, he'll say something completely different. <laughs> um, I think where we, we both come from is a sort of shared principle base about the gardens we want to make and the landscapes we want to make and how we what they stand for for us and also coming from a kind of values-based practice about how not just what work we do but how we do that work whether that is 
you know, connecting people with nature and being responsible about the resources we use, but also kind of nurturing the creativity and the well-being of the people in the practice. So I think we have a really strong basis, but we definitely come from different points of view and that comes together really well. I think we're incredibly fortunate. Of course, there are a couple of moments where um, someone's a bit tired or maybe hasn't had a sandwich. I wouldn't like to say that is me, but it usually is me. And yes, yeah, it's, it's it's also great just to have someone, as I said earlier, to go, I'm not sure what to do about this. And I think that's quite an important thing to model right across the studio, that it's really good to go, I'm not sure, I want to ask some questions, someone else might know. And It's obviously an approach that works for you guys, because you are very, very busy. I believe you've just won a couple of awards and you have lots of really interesting projects in the pipeline. How are things going with some of those? Like one that people might have heard of is the Roots in the Sky in London. And uh, and I know you're working on lots of other things as well. So how are you managing to balance your time? What other stuff is taking up your creative work as well as Chelsea at the moment? Yeah, it's pretty full on right now. I mean, yeah, so Roots in the Sky is a great one. Um, so so to actually just to kind of step back a bit, I think we're really, we really enjoy working in different sectors because it, we learn lots and we bring different skills to them. So we do a bit of commercial work, we do a bit of public work, we do a bit of historic, botanic gardens, residential. They all feed each other and allow that for that to happen. So just a few current projects. You've got a number of residential projects, a lot, two or three in the Highlands and Islands. So a couple on Sky and one on Harris, for example, where I spend a lot of time and some, and a couple down in Devon where Hugo is based. But Roots in the Sky is a great one. That is a commercial project where the client, our client Fabrics is a developer who has this kind of radical sense of how that, a radical sense of sustainability. And they, they're pushing the whole design team to do better. And that's brilliant. So that project, we have proposed to them that we put a, a forest on the rooftop. We're planting 120 trees in, in a specially devised a kind of root planting zone of 1.2 metre depth, working with Tim O'Hare Associates on the soil. You know, there's lots of space there. This is not just kind of a few trees and planters. This is a really, you know, long-term investment in a, in a shared work and community space in Southwark. That's really exciting. And for them, for the same client, we're working in Berlin, on a film studio campus, but actually using it and working with John Little on some of the ideas about brownfield sites and what we do with that, um, taking, you know, the whole site is completely paved. And so rather than lifting these kind of concrete block cobbles and taking to the landfill and all that kind of stuff that none of us want, we're lifting about a third of the campus, we're crushing that on site and then we're using that for deep mulches and um, insect homes and all sorts of things and thinking about how we reuse everything on site to create that landscape. So there's a couple of the projects uh, we're working with, Gothenburg Botanic Gardens on some of their new glass houses. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty busy at the moment. Fantastic. And in terms of, you know, obviously that's going to keep you up at night having all of that work on. But specifically the Chelsea Garden, is there anything that you're losing sleep over now in the run-up to the show? Any particular element of the Chelsea Garden that you're just a tiny bit worried about pulling off or that you worry, oh God, when we get on site and we're in the middle of the build, that might be tricky? I mean, how long have we got? <laughs> uh, no, um, I think that if you're a designer at Chelsea and not worrying about Chelsea for a good few months, you may be, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you're much more accomplished than I am but um yeah so the things that are keeping us awake at night there's a couple of things in in our garden building we have collected 
or we are collecting, sorry, a thousand thumbprints in clay. And Hugo and I felt really strongly because we'd been out and talked to lots of units and listened to lots of patients and that we didn't want the garden to be separated from them for it just to be something that happened further away. And we wanted that to be represented in the garden. We're working with the charity and we're collecting a thousand thumbprints from patients in all the spinal injury units that have gardens with NHS staff, but also everyone involved in the making of the garden. So the guys who poured the concrete, the the people at the nursery, all contractors. So we're, so the sort of logistical effort of collecting a thousand clay thumbprints and making sure they get it to Chelsea in one piece is, is actually massive. So that is keeping me awake at night, making sure that our components of that paving that I mentioned that they have to be pre-poured because there's not enough time for it to be to go off at Chelsea so they have to be absolutely millimetre perfect because the way we hide those joints so that patients if you go over in a wheelchair don't feel them it requires absolute precision so those are a couple of things that keep me awake at night and, and actually as I sort of started by saying I do feel this is a really different Chelsea garden to the ones we've made previously this is a garden about the people who have defined the brief there are real patients who have defined this brief and so we feel a real sense of responsibility about getting it right so those keeping us awake at night but also it's the people that make this garden really different and and wonderful I mean you say it's different from ones you've made before um and the fact that it is for such a wonderful charity you've got project giving back now which you know is sponsoring 42 gardens over three years and has sort of in my opinion anyway breathed new life into the show how, how do you feel about it do you see the, the difference of having so many of these charities on Main Avenue and and perhaps less of previous sponsors of yours like M&G and, and hedge funds and thing like, things like that? I think it's been fantastic. I think it's been a fantastic injection of energy. I think it's also allowed designers who to get a foothold into Chelsea who, who it may have been otherwise a bit more of a struggle. And we've all been there. We've all been at the start of our journey and it's it's never easy. I think it helps the public connect a bit better with Chelsea, which may seem quite far away and remote, perhaps in that, you know, sense of accessibility to it. Chelsea's really powerful. And the reason we love being involved is because it does allow us to open conversations potentially about different things. So last time it was about gardens in public spaces. And, and this time, obviously, it's about accessible garden spaces, which we feel is relevant because we'll all have an experience of disability in our lifetime, whether it's ourselves or someone we love or as a carer or even just the fact that making better design spaces helps everyone if you're a parent with a young child or you've broken a leg. It, it better design is better for everyone. And so I think it creates a, an opportunity for the public to and visitors to really connect with spaces a little more emotionally. And gardens are all emotional spaces, aren't they? Really, good gardens. That was Charlotte Harris, who's creating Horatio's Garden with Hugo Bug at the 2023 RHS Chelsea Flower Show. Thank you for listening to Talking Gardens, brought to you by the team behind Gardens Illustrated magazine. Find us on the newsstand or at gardensillustrated.com. Follow us so you never miss an episode. <laughs>